this episode of What's the Hazard is being brought to you by these incredibly generous true believers in workplace safety and health. And I am truly grateful for their support. Custom Concrete Specialists, CCS Group, and Cheyenne Wolford. My buddy Jim Cover down at the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group. Jim and all of his consultants. John Falowich and Falowich Construction Services. And our latest sponsor, Building Omaha. Building Omaha is a partnership between the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the IBEW, and the National Electrical Contractors Association, NECA. They pair highly trained electrical professionals with industry contractors to ensure they're able to serve customers safely and effectively. Building Omaha, the partnership that powers our city. Learn more at buildingomaha.org. Thank you all. We appreciate your support. All right, now let's get into this episode. Uh, This is Doug Fletcher, and you are listening to What's the Hazard? Uh, It is Friday. What is it? I'm looking at April 22nd. Wow. My God, where did April go? It's over, practically. Bye-bye. I have to go out to Indianapolis. My son is graduating from college in a week, so we're going out there to... I guess at least verify that this is true, that what, what he tells us is accurate. <laughs> so there. looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Um, it is Friday. Um, I had a good week. I hope you all had a good week. Um, it was interesting. I was speaking to a group yesterday and we were talking a little bit about affirmation as safety people. We don't always get a lot of affirmation that what we're doing is recognized or appreciated, frankly, and uh, it becomes frustrating. I know a lot of safety people that get frustrated, like maybe I'm not making a difference. Maybe nobody is noticing this stuff. And then all it takes is one person to come to you and just say, man, that was really interesting, or I liked that training, or thank you for what you're doing. And that changes everything. It kind of re-energizes you. So if you haven't received any affirmation and you're a safety person, I'm giving it to you. The work that you're doing is important. Keep doing it, whether people are recognizing it or not. It is important. Um, Give affirmation, you know, maybe to the employees. I think all of us crave a little bit of affirmation from time to time. Um, So keep that in mind. So I hope you've received a little bit. Um, I'm going to introduce my guest, and then you guys look like you could use a little affirmation. (laughs) So I'll give them some affirmation. Todd, I've got Todd Longnecker from Commonwealth Electric. Your title is safety director, safety director, Don Davids from ABC electric. And your title is safety manager, safety manager, project manager. Project manager. Okay. So you're an electrician. Yes. Are you an electrician? No. Okay. You are the safety guy. Strictly safety, safety guy who works in an electrical setting. Correct. Electrician who has adopted or at least accepted the role of safety manager. That's correct. Interesting. Very good. Excellent. So any affirmation recently, guys, have either one of you received any affirmation from your crews or luckily I did. We recently did uh, first aid CPR training and got a lot of thanks. And this helps remind them it's been uh, about three years with COVID. We didn't get everybody in room and huff and puff and blow on. (laughs) Right. uh, Or, or those little recessive Annie things. (laughs) Right. So yeah, I did get a couple guys that were real, happy that that happened good so good and, and it does make you feel better it does it really does it's it doesn't take much nope what about you way. man you look like a guy that could use some affirmation <laughs> well i i actually i mean you know it's one of those things i do get affirmation you know a lot of times it ends up being after training or something like that but the ones that really stand out are you know the the times that somebody in the field comes up and is like hey 
what you were talking about the other day or whatever it was, I noticed that in the field and was able to make the right decisions because of what we went wow. through. And, you know, those are the things that for me really, you know, because somebody's saying, hey, thanks, that was a good training. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, not to say that like every training's good, but, um, you know, to see them actually taking that stuff from the training classroom and into the field, that's where it really has an impact for me, um, you know, and yeah, it's, that's probably the best form of affirmation that I've ever received. But yes, I could definitely use, especially from the, the, the top dog. Maybe from the executives from time to time. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the relationship. You guys are both with companies that belong to NECA, the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association, Commonwealth and ABC, both yes. members of NECA. And you two are both on the safety committee. Yes. For NECA, for our local chapter. Right, for the Nebraska chapter. Nebraska chapter. And NECA is part of an alliance with the IBEW Correct. here locally. And and uh, the marketing side of that collaboration is referred to as Building Omaha. Correct. And Building Omaha is a sponsor of the program. So I think in large part, uh, we have Fletcher, Fletcher Safety Consulting and the What's the Hazard podcast to thank for having electricity it sounds like yeah, is that true yeah, exactly. or do i have yeah. that relationship maybe backwards or something <laughs> pretty much all the same yes yeah. excellent excellent so um it is may is national electrical safety month yep, correct that's cool so let's talk a little bit about that what what does the organization do let's talk a little bit about nika talk a little bit about the training center any of those things let's start off with that yeah well we've been meeting this nika group's been meeting for a long time and the whole focus is to empower our apprentices with more electrical safety and how to be safe. We, we do more than electrical. We've done silica with you in the mm -hmm. past when that standard was, was being rolled out or adopt, uh, updated by OSHA. We've done, you know, PPEs type stuff. Uh, Omaha is building a new training facility, uh, upgrading their training facility, which is, should be open to the students this fall. Yep. Nice. And so there's a bunch of safety going into that. Todd knows more about it. He's primary on that committee. Uh, that subcommittee to to make that happen uh but it's it's all about getting people home at the end of the day they might be tired and sweaty but we want all their parts and pieces where they right. were yeah. right well we'll take tired and sweaty yeah, yeah. Exactly. and well paid and well paid yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay and yeah but the training center and those kind of things talk a little bit about that maybe. yeah so the training center that'll be opening up here shortly um but one of the things that you know we've kind of identified through our committee is that you know as contractors, we're constantly trying to, you know, get up to speed with training new people. What's their baseline, right? And and the whole idea with this new training centers was an opportunity for us to raise the baseline of knowledge around safety. Safety awareness is really the big thing. And so along with their progression through the apprenticeship, we've incorporated um, what we're going to consider to be like safety mock-ups where they can go and interact and have you know, some uh, materials that are tangible to them, whether it's PPE or different, uh, you know, fall protection, uh, electrical safety equipment, things that they may not necessarily get exposed to until they're out on a job site. Uh, but we're bringing that now into the, to the training center uh, to where they have that hands-on and it's going to kind of uh, grow with them. So it's going to start out with the basics of PPE, having that stuff available. We've got a got a, a mannequin that's set up with all different mm -hmm. kinds of PPE. 
we're going to have some things there that kind of describe the importance of those different pieces of PPE from head protection, eye protection, hand protection, you name it, um, so that they can actually get a, a little bit of a, a training, if you will, on that. And then it grows into fall protection and it grows into arc flash, electrical safety equipment, lockout, tagout, um, even, you know, the medium voltage type equipment that, um, you know, is going to be much more specialized, but at least bring in awareness that, hey, this stuff is out here for you. You may not know how to use it and you need to have some training before you do, but at least you're aware of some of these items that are out there mm-hmm. and, and what their use is for. Um, and on top of that, we're trying to work it so that we can um, hopefully uh, weasel our way into a little bit of safety training mm-hmm. for the apprentices because that's the one thing that we see is uh, the biggest benefit is if, if, if we can help be able to say that, hey, any apprentice that comes out to your job site is going to have this baseline of training through the apprenticeship program mm-hmm. and, and, and contractors are going to be helping with providing that. That's a very valuable resource. Are they getting everybody an OSHA 30 or something as part of their apprenticeship program or they part of an, their, they uh, get the OSHA the 10 hour in the hall. Yeah. The 10 hours, the only thing they get, we, we had discussed trying to get a 30 hour it's for a like a fifth year apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with the time constraints and, and how their their class schedules are set up, it right now it, it probably is not quite feasible. Okay, over burdensome for the mm-hmm. that's a lot. They, yeah. They've yeah. got studies to do to become electricians, and mm-hmm. ten yeah. hours is is a good baseline. Mm-hmm. And, it is, and putting a thirty into their classwork also is that'd be tough. Intense. I get yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. But coming out with a ten, hey, they're probably they have probably had more safety training than a lot of the journeymen at least got coming off the. Oh, sure. Out of the programs back in the day. So right. it's in a much improved. I, I like, I think everyone should have to have a 10 that works mm-hmm. in yes. any capacity, frankly. 100%. And uh, I like the idea of doing some of this enhanced training on some of these different applications and elements of safety. I think that's fantastic. Do we have any plans for May? I mean, does the, um, does NECA, the local chapter, or does IBEW do any promotional stuff that uh, you're aware of? Not or? this year. Uh, I think the uh, you know the pandemic definitely rolled a bunch of that back in the past. Mm-hmm. We've done done safety events and electrical safety, but with things changing a little bit, uh, we'll see what next year brings. Okay, good. Well, as as good a contractor, we are doing some stuff. Okay, uh, around good. electrical safety month. Um, as electricians, yeah, yeah, good. We, we, that's fantastic. Yeah, we need to right. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's one of those things that we take it as an opportunity within our company to you know, kind of thank our people for all the work that they're doing. Um, you know, obviously talk about some electrical safety, you know, best practices, things like that. And then also, um, ideally, we take it as an opportunity on our job sites to, you know, train the general contractors, train other contractors, right? Have a, a cookout and have a some discussion around, you know, whether it's extension cords, GFCIs, anything around electrical safety, just some of the basics that, you know, other trades may not be aware of. Um, we, we, we try to take that opportunity to do that. Um, and I know that, you know, it's, it's definitely helped in the mm-hmm. past, but yeah, like Don said, I mean, COVID put a kibosh on a lot of this stuff, of course. Uh, but this year will be the first year that we're kind of kicking it back up since, since COVID and, and really going to try and make I a like push that. to do you know, it would be useful, and uh, I'm not here to tell you your business, but during May, 
you know, Electrical Safety Month, you should invite or ask to be invited over to OSHA and do a little training for those guys. Because as a former OSHA guy, I can tell you that in the office when I was there, there might have been two guys that really understood electrical safety. Maybe. And it wasn't me. I can look at the standards and I can say that doesn't look like this. I don't know why that's a hazard. And the whole question, what's the hazard? You know, that's the whole point of this podcast. I didn't know. I know it says you can't use a metal box on a pendant or whatever. I don't know why. I And I know that there was a time when I was with OSHA that we were probably misciting some of the regulations pertaining to electrical safety, right. you know? And so it might be an opportunity for during May, particularly use it for some kind of promotion or at least, you know, uh, educational opportunity to maybe meet with the OSHA guys and do a little bit of training. That's a fantastic. They don't have an opportunity. I didn't get to go to the electrical safety course as an industrial hygienist, but I was expected to address those issues when I was out on site. Let's talk about that. I I can make those notes for next year. (laughs) I can. Yeah. I'll get you in touch with Matt and Darwin and the guys over there. And uh, I think they would appreciate that opportunity. I think, (laughs) (laughs) and then maybe they'll say (laughs) if we sell it the right way, but we can inquire. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know, as far as IBEW and NECA and OSHA, since we all want the same thing, we all want that tired, sweaty, rich guy going home at the end of the day. Right. You know, that might be an opportunity. Yeah, parts and pieces. It's cool. And you talked, you you kind of alluded to this a little bit when you were talking about what Commonwealth is doing, Mm -hmm. but it also seems we talked before we started the episode about leadership management commitment you know and um the importance of that safety leadership element and how difficult that can be in companies like yours can you you know we i think people that can envision a fixed facility where there is a manager or an owner and a captive audience and it's a little bit easier for them to demonstrate their commitment to safety if they're inclined to do that but it's easily uh more um visible what are the challenges that you're dealing with from that perspective in a business where your guys are out in the field all the time, you have multiple locations, perhaps things like that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So within Commonwealth, we have, um, what, seven different locations. We're in three different States and, um, you know, there's definitely not a lack of support from leadership, uh, that, that to me, uh, but, you know, ensuring that that's visible to our people in the field that, hey, our entire leadership team is is fully on board with doing whatever it takes to make sure that you do go home safe at the end of the day and that we're following the rules that we need to, taking the time to do that, you know, not letting schedule and production be the only thing that's driving what we're doing. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, – you know, I don't necessarily have an answer other than, um, you know, I would say that the biggest thing would be is um, when we are coming out with our initiatives and things like that, that, you know, you know, the leaders in your company would be active in pushing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even to like the, the mid-level management, right? So the way that our company set up is we have our president, CFO, leadership team that are together and then each branch, our seven locations have a branch manager and really making sure that that branch manager is then taking that torch and running with it. That's like the biggest thing um, because then they're more ground level. Now, then we have job sites that we have to get to, right? 
And really where the rubber is going to meet the road is having our foremen that are on site, that, that on site supervision um, to be feeling the support in that from management. Um, but it has to be a trickle down effect for us because yeah, our president can't be on every job site every day, right. To, to show that. So we have to come up with some creative ways to do that. And we have to rely on, you know, kind of that dissemination. But um, I think the biggest thing would be is, is having visibility on initiatives, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, replying to the email, right. Mm -hmm. Saying, yes, this is important. We want to see everybody participating, any of those things. Those can really help with everybody realizing that, Hey, one, this is getting noticed by the president of the company or the top dog and they're in full support of it. Right. Um, so that everybody knows to take that action and that it's not just, you know, the safety guy coming up with something else for people to, right. To do. Interesting. And you, your setup is a little bit different. You're not quite as large as. Yeah. We're a whole lot smaller. We're about 40 people mm-hmm. work for ABC electric out of, out of Lincoln, out of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And, uh, John's the president. Uh, I, I have no doubt he fully supports every safety mm-hmm. effort we put out. Mm-hmm that I come up with, even though it's kind of harebrained some days, <laughs> right. but, but like Todd said, it's really difficult to, when you're, you know, we travel around Southeast Nebraska mm-hmm. and it's difficult for him to get out to the specific job sites. You know, he does interact with the foreman's, uh, our project managers, you know, you, you have a project manager and it's not like he's managing just one project. He might have four or five different projects going at the mm-hmm. same time with five different foreman's. And it's tough to get them out to the job. So like Todd said, it really goes back to the foremans being the ones mm-hmm. that are, you know, you can't be a, a, a safety cop. You know, I can't go out to the job site and where's your safety glasses? They go, okay, here. Is it mm-hmm. gone yet? Yeah, right, and right. So our foremans do a really good job of, of doing that, taking care of it, making sure that's happening. But they also have time constraints with what they have to do with the paperwork, interact with the general contractor, the customers, and so it's a very dynamic mm-hmm. uh, environment. You know, as construction, our job changes every minute. Mm-hmm. And if every not, day. you're yep. not doing your job. Right. So, yeah. You know, you, you go in there today and by the time you leave, it's a different place. Absolutely. And so that constant change makes it really difficult as compared to a fixed facility where, you know, the, you know, this, this manager manages this machine. Yeah. You I know, run this line. We return to this change. line every day. Yeah. Our crew changes every time. Mm-hmm. You know, our foremans may have different guys working for them on this project mm-hmm. just because of where the manpower needs to be shifted to fill. Right. But with, that really amplifies the importance of having that one message coming down from that authority, whoever that is in your case. So, you know, right. and that, take care of the people and the message is clear and communicated and understood and supported, you know, so that because I agree with you specifically in your situations where you have multiple locations, multiple crews, changing crews, evolving workplaces, it is really important that those foremen or superintendents are equipped with the knowledge and the resources and tools necessary to make sure that we're working safely. And again, you know, we talk about this all the time that it's kind of a mindset, you know, it's kind of a behavioral element. We're not we're not trying to add safety on as an add-on or as an addition. It just becomes part of the fabric of the company. But that is a slow, gradual process. And um, mm-hmm. and the rubber meets the road at that foreman level, at that frontline supervisor level. In every plan I've ever gone in, 
You know, I walk in, I talk to the plant manager or the owner or whomever is in charge. We are all about safety, Doug. And I believe they believe they mean it. And then you get out onto the plant and it's chaos or whatever. And it's just because, you know, that poor bastard that runs the crew has been overwhelmed with so many duties and responsibilities that it's not that they don't want to be safe, but they're being pulled in a lot of directions. Absolutely. That's, that's really tough. It does. So, well, so let's talk a little bit about, um, I don't want to fixate on this stuff, but OSHA just launched a couple of new emphasis programs mm-hmm. you're probably those. aware well, one is a regional emphasis program on noise here in region seven and one is a national emphasis program on heat and you're probably subject to both i don't know that you yep, are i did i, I think specialty contract are. trades yeah. which are yep. electrical are probably covered in both yes they, they took a pretty broad brush when they identified yeah. the industries pretty that much. would be covered and noise is everywhere and heat is everywhere right. so exactly. it didn't take uh probably a lot of research to identify the you know, the exposed, empl- are you guys doing anything or, or yeah. you probably have been doing, but just to share with the, the listeners, what do you guys do for things like noise and heat as well, electrical contractors? As for heat, we, we picked up that program and developed the program four years ago now, five years ago, specifically to address heat. And a lot of it comes back to training our foreman mm-hmm. and even, you know, training the, training the guys, everybody gets that bit of training and it, it involves understanding what, the heat environment you're going to be in. Uh, we have crews that'll be outside. We've got crews that've been outside all winter long mm-hmm. and they'll be outside all summer long. Right. And those are the guys I don't worry that much about because they're acclimated to it. They understand it. They have the water, they have the shade. They, they know, they know to things. take breaks. They know to take the breaks. The problem is when we take, you know, in construction, we got to ramp a job up. Well, we need two more guys. Okay. Go over here and get them out of the office building that they've been working on this air condition and put them outside. Those are the ones that we have to worry about. That's a great point, man. Uh, it takes a couple of weeks for a body to get acclimated to the heat, mm-hmm. to get used to drinking more water, to taking the rest breaks, not working as hard as you did when it was cool, and understanding that. And we've been working on that for several years now. And the education beneficial. piece of it, the, the awareness piece. piece. And, and that's where it matters is the foreman and the journeyman understanding like, Ooh, Hey Todd, you're not you're looking kind of flushed. Why don't you go? go <laughs> I always, here, I always look flushed. I don't know yeah. what the deal is, but you know, understanding by the keep an eye on the guys and not wait to the point that it becomes an emergency. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. I think that awareness piece is critical. I think again, this all boils down to empowering those foremen and letting them understand that, look, we take this seriously. So give those guys a little slack if need be on those extremely hot days. One of the thing that, things that the NEP has done is identified objective triggers. They're using the National Weather Service Heat Index. Mm-hmm. And so when we get those heat warnings on the, you know, the evening news, tomorrow is going to be a heat day. They're probably relying on that National Weather Service Heat Index to, to uh, at least forecast that. Correct. And OSHA expects us to be, in some capacity, utilizing that information in our program, do you guys use an app or do you guys, how do you guys, it's just freaking hot or going to have to, do you use like an app or something yeah, or how we, do you guys, I've had the, I've got, I don't remember what it was called. The OSHA heat app. Oh, you, you downloaded, I you downloaded grabbed that, that app several years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. And our foremans have been instructed to make sure they have that so they can get those alerts and warnings, yeah. and, you know, and try to stay ahead of, yeah. stay ahead of the whole game. Mm-hmm. One thing I would add to that is, is that, um, Really, it, it ends up ultimately, as bad as it sounds, it ultimately ends up falling on 
the controlling contractor, right? The general contractor mm-hmm. or the owner, because, um, you know, we can say, Hey, yeah, it's too hot today. We're not going to be working. If that general contractor is saying, we don't care. We expect mm-hmm. you to work. Right. Yeah. We have that inherent issue there. Now I have seen that, you know, we do a lot of work on large data centers and if it is, it reaches that, heat index of, you know, the feels like 103 plus mm-hmm. they're shutting, they're shutting down the job site, no outside mm-hmm. work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a great thing for us as yeah. subcontractors to have that support from right. the general contractors saying that, nope, Hey, this is, it's too, it's too hot for anybody to be working outside. Even if you are trying to stay hydrated, even if you are getting some right. rest and shade, because it's just, it's too dangerous. It's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's where, you know, the other thing that, you know, we talked about education a little bit. One of the things that I focus on when we're training our people on this is be aware of your own body, right? If you're waiting until you're thirsty to take a drink, you're behind the eight ball, mm-hmm. right? And then also think about what you did the night before, right? Mm-hmm. Did you go out to the bars with your buddies until 10 o'clock at night? and They probably you, can't remember if they did that. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. That, that there is putting you behind the eight ball, right? Yeah. And and I was gonna, ten o'clock at night seems like a pretty uh, that was pretty reasonable. That's pretty mature, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. That, I don't know that, that that's gonna be. I don't the remember ever but, leaving the bar at ten o'clock. <laughs> but um, but it's it's some of those real world world things to get them thinking about themselves, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. And and noticing what's going on in their body because the foreman, albeit they may be saying, "Hey, you need to take a break. We're gonna take a break every hour and drink some water." But if that person decides on their break that they're you know, okay, I'll have a couple of sips and I'm back to work because I don't feel thirsty. Well, they're just going to continue to set themselves back. And so being aware of that and being proactive about it. And and the other thing is, is not just only choosing water, right? Mm-hmm. Or not just only choosing Gatorade or some energy drink or whatever, right? Because if you only do water, you're going to deplete the electrolytes. You can still get into a form of heat exhaustion from depleting all the electrolytes in your body to where you can faint and pass out. Mm -hmm. Now you want to do a little bit of a mixture of both, right? Predominantly water and then mix in that electrolyte drink. So Mm -hmm. you're replenishing those because as we know in Nebraska and in the Midwest, it's going to get to 95 degrees and a hundred percent humidity, right? At least it's going to feel like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be eating the air and, and, and that's where, we're going to be losing all of that fluid. We need to replenish that and do that in the right way. Mm-hmm. So. I think there, actually that industry, that electrolyte replenishment industry. I mean, I think there are electrolytes in my smart water. Yep. Yeah. You know, yep. it doesn't make you smarter in my experience, but I think it does replenish electrolytes. And I know they make the little packets, LMNT yep. element. I think the acronym is uh, fairly highly recommended. Yep. Electrolyte replacement supplements, squencher, yeah, all sorts of things, yeah. but. I think this, I'm a little concerned about this particular emphasis on ocean. I think heat is obviously important and dangerous, but this is the ultimate personal responsibility issue. And it's so subjective. And so, yes, individual and subjective. So as long as the foremen are educated and they understand that as their employees are needing water, rest, shade, breaks, medical attention, whatever that is, I think a lot of this goes to the employee. As you said, you got need to drink. Even when you're not thirsty, you need to notify the boss when you're not feeling right. You need to be honest and forthcoming. And do we always, I don't feel so good. So I'm going to go sit in my truck, air conditioning for four hours. Eh, 
You know, I mean, this one is interesting to me. Balance. It is a balance. And this, for people that have not read this, this is a general duty issue. There is no regulation at this point for heat. Correct. Right. So if OSHA has a concern and they are going to be, in my experience and my understanding, they're going to be stalking you all once the heat index reaches that point. I mean, the, the document, the EMSIS program identifies those days when we were under these heat warnings for OSHA to go out and make inspections. And here in Region 7, here in Omaha specifically, all the guys live in Omaha. If you work in Omaha or Lincoln and it's a heat index day, they're going to be out driving around yep. and probably visiting sites. So I hope everybody understands that. It's not an easily targeted, you know, they can go out to some fixed facilities where they're no, they know there's going to be heat foundries and, you know, kilns and, right. you know, those kind of things. But I think in large part, it's just going to be construction yeah. outdoors in the sun. Yep. And, well, and, uh, and another thing that we, we do and our crews just inherently do is when we get to the dead heat of summer, it is, Hey, we're going to start. Is everybody good with starting at six and mm-hmm. getting done a little bit early where that, that peak heat of the day is in that, you know, later afternoon so that we can um, do that. And, you know, we, we do work down in Arizona and, and in Arizona, you're talking 115, 100, 120 mm-hmm. degree heat without the heat index. Right. Right. And, and so those guys will actually start at, you know, four thirty or five o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. as soon as they possibly can to not have to work in the heat. And yeah. so that's another thing that I think it's important for contractors and, 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 and really anybody to think about is, is can you, can you change your start time? Avoid so the heat of the day. Yeah. So right. you can still get the work done that needs to be done mm-hmm. and then be able to allow your people to go home before right. you know, that, that true heat warning takes effect because mm-hmm. it's going to get into that 103 degree, yeah. whatever, whatever the, the actual number is. Flexibility. Yeah. It's going to require some flexibility yeah. and they are going to be looking. I think this is an emphasis at the national office level. This is part of somehow they have contorted this into the executive branches efforts for climate change. Somehow I'm, all of this stuff is oh, interrelated. Sure. So OSHA is going to be really emphasizing this heat. I think, frankly, they started this noise emphasis program here regionally because they were looking for ways to address noise as a, as a health hazard and they don't have a good mechanism for that. So this is an interesting program in that respect to me. But I think they're going to be pushing this heat thing hard. Yeah, in my experience. Yeah, there've been, you know, Nebraska had a fatality what two years ago. Yeah, uh, a, a guy out in the field doing detasseling mm-hmm. passed away yeah. because of heat. Yeah, and so it does happen even here. It does, and I think the education piece of this is huge because, as we were talking, this is a very individual um, sensitivity type of an issue. But medications you can be taking can have an effect on this. So so people need to be aware of all of these possible variables that, you know, safety pros, we need to stay on top of our phones. And, you know, when when Foreman A is inside an office building, it's air conditioned, doing a remodel, we don't have to worry about his heat Mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. But we need to be out where there's guys in the boiler house. Right. You know, you don't no realize doubt. how hot it gets inside a border plant at a, an industrial facility. It's going to yeah. be really challenging. This is going to be really interesting. I'm looking for, I'm, I shouldn't say that, but it will be interesting to see how this plays out. Sure. So let's talk about the other one, the noise a little bit. Noise is always interesting in construction to me because it's not like going into a facility, 
where the press bangs all day long and I can measure that. Right. I put earplugs in and we're copacetic. Yep. You got, you know, the noise is present, but very intermittent. You know, it might be something that you guys are generating. It might be something that the other subcontractors generating. How do you address noise? Uh, to the best of your ability. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Yes. Uh, actually in well, a couple of years ago, I started encouraging the foreman's again to download the, there's a noise meter apps out there. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, don't, I don't know how accurate those are compared to anything else, but using your iPhone or, or I think they are actually can, pretty accurate. I've used them I, side by side with calibrated sound level meters and they're pretty, pretty close. close. Yeah. And so the point is that I've tried to get the guys, even journeyman foreman and apprentices, even in their, in their onboarding training is download the app. And if you think it's a little noisy, open it, take a look. Mm -hmm. And if that number says anywhere near 80, you need to start doing something. Mm -hmm. We provide, of course, all the, like every good contractor, we provide hearing protection, whether it's earplugs, earmuffs, both, uh, whatever happens. I've had people tell me, hey, these these fit like garbage. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's find something find that something fits else. you. Love that. And kind of teach them how, you know, if, if you can see the, like they say, if you can see their earplugs, they're probably not installed quite right. Mm -hmm. And so you take a look at them and we you know, let the foremans know that, hey, make sure they've got these in there because unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, that wears hearing aids. Mm -hmm. You know, I flew around in helicopters in the army for a lot of years mm -hmm. and destroyed my hearing. Yeah. And had I known more then what I know now, I would have done something different, mm -hmm. but I think we all say that, man. Well, exactly. Because when you're young and immortal and Ten you love loud and things, yeah, you're all of those things. I Noise is the one that asks ah, screw that. I'm kidding. I mean, crank that tune up. I like, yeah, it. I love you. Know, I used to lay when I was a teenager, I had a little crappy stereo. I would take the speakers. I would set them facing each other. I'd lay my head down in between them, <laughs> put a blanket over it. Um, who knew I was going to be an industrial hygienist, you know, but, uh, but I loved music. Why well, you'd go right to the speakers when you're at a concert, stand right in front of the speak. I mean, yeah, my God, we have, you know, and now, I, I'm, I have one ear deficit, you know, I have right. this ear where my wife sits on this side. So, oh, okay. That makes sense. There, there's yeah. a, there's a notch in my curve on this ear, but yeah. And I do have wife mode on these. You just click it down about four times <laughs> right. and it works great. Absolutely. So we, so this is, we're going to be thrown off of YouTube. You know, for having said that we're not misogynists. We love no. our, our wives. No. Dearly. Yes. So what are you guys doing? You guys do um, anything differently? I mean, so what we're hoping is that when the guys identify a, a noisy activity, that they might utilize the available. Yeah. And that's, and that's protection. the one thing is that identifying those uh, tasks that they're going to be doing that are going to reach that. And, you know, like Don said, I, I always am encouraging people, Hey, you can download the decibel app and it at least gives you a ballpark. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and if you're getting close to like that 80, 85 range and, and the key that we talk about is, is that, you know, okay, if you're going to go hammer drill and you're doing a couple of holes, Okay, we're not really worried about that. But if you're going to be hammer drilling all day, or you're going to be, you know, cutting in holes to the side of the panel with your hole saw, and it's, you know, it's going to make a lot of noise, and you're going to be doing that throughout the day, absolutely, you need to have hearing protection on. And and you let us know what you need, right? Do you want the insert type? Do you want muffs? Do you want both? We will do whatever, right? And then obviously training them on okay, the noise reduction rating, right? Because if what you're getting is 120 decibels for whatever it is right now we're probably talking some major motor or something at that level but if it's there then you probably need to have double hearing protection right so that you can get below that that 
level that it needs to be. Um, and so education, right? We talk about it within our PPE, uh, you know, trainings that we do for our people, making it available to them, you know, having the foreman be aware of the the tasks that, hey, make sure that, you know, these guys know to be wearing hearing protection for this stuff. Um, and then the other thing I always like to talk about is, um, you know, to get at the, the younger people uh, that, you know, maybe don't realize that, hey, once your hearing goes, there's no getting it back. Right. There's only amplifying it. You know, hearing aids don't do anything but amplify the sound. Right. Mm-hmm. And and and, you know, I saw uh, I was in a training once that that described it as blades of grass is what you're hearing, mm-hmm. your, what's inside your ears. And, and you know, people walking on grass. Right. It, 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 it you know, it, it smashes down and it comes back up, smashes down, comes back up. If, and and that's light sound. Right. That's, you know call it something around 70 decibels um, or 80 decibels. Let's go with that. But so if you just have, you know, one or two people walking there, not a big deal. The grass is going to stand back up. It's not going to die. It's good. But just like if you go on a hiking trail, you've got tons and tons of people walking that same exact path. It eventually kills that grass, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's happening to your eardrums. And, and that's where, um, you know, it doesn't have to be something loud if to, to cause hearing loss right. over time. Um, now, obviously, we all understand the really loud things, you know, gunshots, things like mm-hmm. that. You go to a gun range, if you don't have hearing protection in, you ain't, I mean, you ain't getting in there, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they've identified that. And that would be more like having a bulldozer driving over the grass, right? Mm-hmm. Where it, it doesn't take many of those to to start causing some right. permanent damage. That's a and good so, description of it, absolutely. And so I like to to explain that to our people in that sense because I think that for whatever reason people think that they're hearing will, you know, oh yeah, I listen to loud stuff, but you know, well, once you get down to a certain baseline, you're not getting any yeah, higher. You're not it's getting only, back. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. The education piece is so important on noise as well, but you know, the noise exposures you have outside really are no different to your hearing than the noise exposure you have at work. So, you know, I think all, everyone now that at least shoots at a range or something understands that, you know, hearing oh, protection yeah. has become required. But, you know, mowing the grass, shooting, hunting, riding motors. I mean, the problem is that this noise is so intermittent in the construction world that it's like, put it in, take it out, put it in, take it out. Um, I think it becomes... Um, challenging just to keep some focus on that, right? You know, some attention to that. Do you guys, I, this is kind of off topic, but do you guys allow um, earbuds for you, like music? You guys can listen to music or listen no. to what's the hazard or whatever while they're we working. We haven't identified that as a problem. <laughs> okay. Do you allow that then? Yes. We've got some music for their phone, some music for music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't interfere with their ability to hear or no. hear warning signals or something. It's a little bit different for you guys, you know, yeah, but they're not, you know, like a lot of the uh, fixed facilities that I work with have prohibited earbuds or specifically music because it's so difficult to hear the forklift Mm -hmm. approaching or you, it's hard to hear warnings and things like that, but your guys are typically working off on their, on a a project or something. The earbuds are primarily our service department. Okay. They're. And by themselves doing mm-hmm. something. Most of our construction crews, I haven't noticed that. Okay, so that hasn't been a problem. You guys don't have Not any prohibition us. on that. Well, I mean, we, yeah, we, we, in general, no, our people are not to be wearing earbuds. We don't even allow, you know, job site speakers and things like that. 
uh, for a lot of different reasons. But, um, you know, it's one of those deals that if I mean, in real in real time, if I see somebody wearing earbuds or something like that, I'll, you know, softly talk to them, see if they pick up on. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, and and That's do cruel, something like man. that. But, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to get too upset if they only have one in. Right. Because I would assume that they can still hear. Mm-hmm. But you get two of them in there. And nowadays they're all noise canceling and things like that. And it's like, OK, if there was a legitimate hazard here, like you I, I don't feel confident. Right. And so yeah. it's going through that stuff that, um, you know, the expectation from our company is, is that you're not going to wear them. Are you going to get in trouble for wearing them? Not, not maybe the first time, but right. if we see that it's a, a habitual thing, then well, yeah, I, I we, think you could make a case that. that it's a safety issue to some degree, but I think really it's oftentimes it becomes a morale issue as well. Right. And this, you know, man, as, as difficult as it is to attract and retain talented people and train them up and, you know, get them engaged in the company. These are the kind of issues that break morale. Yeah. You know, it seems so trivial, but I know companies that have pulled back on this allowance. They've allowed it in the past. Now they're pulling back on it. My God, you think they were refusing to pay the employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just become so emotional about it. I know that there are uh, the, the noise canceling type that. They actually have a limit to how loud the music will go. It limits it to 80 or 85 decibels. I'm not sure which, but it won't go into the hazardous noise range. And that seems interesting. It seems reasonable that at least that would be part of it. Because I can remember back in the days where I carried a Walkman, mm-hmm. you put a cassette tape in there. You ever heard of this, Cam? You put a cassette tape in there, slam it shut, put on the headphones with the cord that ran to it. And crank that up as loud as it would go. Heck maximum yeah. distortion and volume. <laughs> oh, and I thought I was the coolest thing on uh, Westbrook Junior High campus. You know, <laughs> we we did that in Huey helicopters. Did you? We built adapters so we could plug our Walkman in. So you listen to music in. over the volume of the helicopter. Yep. <laughs> uh, was it always Creedence Clearwater, or did Sometimes. you listen to other stuff? I listened to other stuff. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. The funny part was because of that. It's an old story. But we were flying south of Nebraska and listening to the radio. We plugged in the radio. It happened to be about news time. And that's when we heard about the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, no shit. We were over top Oklahoma headed to uh, Texas. No Boy. kidding. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like, so we were actually watching cars on the interstate to see if we could find. Were you around Oklahoma City somewhere? Yeah, we were. Uh, at that time, we were in North Oklahoma City when mm-hmm. that happened. Wow. And then we got diverted back over into Arkansas and yeah. around. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't want anybody want in that airspace, I'm sure. Right. But wow, that's and that was because we made adapters to plug our Walkman with our cassettes and radios <laughs> in the headsets and right. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about the hazards of electricity. Sure. The program is what's the hazard? And I've admitted already that I don't understand electricity. I like electricity. I want to go on record as saying thank you for electricity <laughs> uh, and many of the uh, luxuries that it provides me. You know, right. but I don't get the hazards necessarily. So, for example, I mentioned the one that I see frequently, I believe to be uh, prohibited by the regulations. And that would be the one where you have like a metal fourplex or something that you've hooked up to some kind of a pendant. You drop it down, you plug things in. I, there's no way to ground that, I'm assuming. So maybe that's the issue. But is it a problem? I mean, uh, I, I point it out all the time and people look at me like, why is that a problem? Yeah, a lot of the problem with the uh, 
using what you're describing, we call them a four square box. Mm -hmm. They have knockouts in them. They're, they're removable. Knockouts. Yeah. Those can get knocked into the electricity inside. And if it's mm -hmm. not grounded properly, that item becomes energized mm -hmm. and you touch it. Current goes from your hand through down your foot into whatever else grounded. You mm -hmm. become the ground. And right. The path, the ground, the part of the circuit. You and it hurts the whole time you die. Yeah. That doesn't you know, sound good. No, it's, but that is it's what we're trying good. to prevent, right? We're trying right. to prevent contact with a conductor that allows the electricity to pass through us to ground. Right. Typically. Yep. Yeah, uh, or absolutely. Yeah. To complete the circuit, complete this circuit, whether it's to ground or just back through uh, oh, yeah. the other wiring systems. You right. just don't want to become part of that circuit. Mm -hmm. Okay. And but, so we do that through, you know, uh, PPE training, you know, having rubber gloves with leathers over them. And we do it with meters so we can see if it's actually energized or not. Are either of you willing to explain to me why the bird on the wire doesn't get zapped? Because it's not grounded. Okay. And There's it's no path to ground. There's no, it's not grounded. And it's, if it was to touch another phase, now the bird obviously isn't going to be big enough to get to the other phase mm -hmm. of the power line. But if it did yeah. that, then it would absolutely cook, cook. Uh, and, but it has no path to ground. You could have a human being hanging up on a power line. You're going to be just fine. On that one phase, that yeah, individual on just one phase. phase. My feet it's aren't dangling onto the next phase. Or no, exactly. Yeah. And that's, as long as you but, only touch one thing, you're okay. okay. Yes, correct. Okay. One, one so phase that, at a time. That goes back to the complete the circuit path to ground right. issue. Yep. And interesting. You know, what Todd says is, is somewhat true mm -hmm. you know, on a, on a, true uh, medium voltage or high voltage power line if you were hanging like this you would get shocked yeah okay. yeah because you because your hands are far are enough separate. apart okay that it becomes it but if you're right together okay like bird's hand, feet for yeah, example yeah, or feet are very close feet. together claws yeah. paws whatever. <laughs> yeah. okay yeah. you know they're close together okay. so there's no reason for the electricity to go, to go any other path i yeah. see but if they were far apart and that's, or they touch something else. That's yeah, when okay. it becomes right. a problem. He's right. So let's talk about misconceptions about electrical safety, things that we see that are problematic. Most of your work is new construction. So you don't always go in and see shitty stuff, but do you do remodels oh, and do, do things where yeah, you see ABC crap? ABC does. We, yeah. we do. Let's talk a little bit about building. like misconceptions about electrical safety or stuff that you've seen. Let's talk a little you bit know, about that. Uh, or I know you brought some statistics even, man. Yeah, so uh, we're going to look at some of the stuff you brought in. Got some of the toys in. and things to look at. Let's start, let's start on that because teach me uh, about electrical safety. Yeah. According to, to the uh, uh, EFSI, uh, the Electrical or Electrical Safety Foundation International, okay. their data shows that there were in 2020, 129 people died at work from electricity. Okay. That's a lot. In the States, in the United States? In, in the United States alone. It's a big number. That is a lot. But if you go to the National Institute of Health, they claim there's a thousand on average die every year, both at work and at home. Okay. With about a third of those generally being at work. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, 20% fairly... of those are children. Yeah. And mm -hmm. children get into things. You know, I brought some things here to show that will help if, for people that have older homes. And how they should make sure they have, mm -hmm. if they have children, they need tamper resistant devices. Mm -hmm. You know, they're pretty cost effective to get put in and they're definitely saving kids from, you, you've all seen the picture of the kid with a knife about to stick in the outlet, right? Mm -hmm. This is what prevents that. And we'll kind okay. of show how that Interesting. works too. Uh, but about 5% of the uh, people that are shocked die. Mm -hmm. They say there's over 30,000 shocks a year. Yeah. And 
I don't mean to be disrespectful, but many of these are electricians, if I'm not mistaken. That, that's true. I mean, electricians, yeah. and, in and my experience, it's... electricians who have a better understanding of elect- electricity and electrical safety than I oftentimes are willing to accept certain risk that a guy like me shouldn't take because they believe that they have a better understanding of the systems. And yeah, I know right. we investigated the electrocution of electricians and other maintenance guys mm-hmm. who are not necessarily electricians. When I was with OSHA, right. That wasn't uncommon and it wasn't always high voltage stuff. No, no, it's not always high voltage. You know, it can be, uh, you know, uh, one of the statistics that 30% of all the fatalities in the construction maintenance happen in a private residence. Really? On the job. Wow. So those are the electricians that are going in to put in outlets in your house or replace the panel or what have you. And so a lot of times you see, you know, people say, oh, he's an electrician. Well, when you get right down to it, oh, he's an electrical apprentice. Maybe only a year or two experience, but, mm-hmm. oh, I'm the electrician because mm-hmm. I show up in the van. Mm-hmm. I've got a truck that says that. Yeah, I got a truck that says that. You know, we talked about that when Scott Love and I were on the program in the past about what's the qualification of that mm-hmm. electrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, yeah it, you know, and in a house, you've got 120, 240. You don't mm-hmm. have the medium voltage or high voltage that's, you know, the 480 and the right. you know, 4160 that's going to blow you up bad. The industrial stuff right. or the transmission. So there's, there's a lot of things that people yeah. can do to yeah. prevent that. Uh, yeah. For one thing, make sure your system looks good. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look over and there's things look broke or burned or scorched, get a qualified person in to check it out for you. Yeah. Whether that's in your office, in your home, or in your Those place. little scorch marks should be an indication, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of a... No I, I see temporary temporary cords like that all the time, yeah. where the plug or the female side is scorched, mm-hmm. and it's still in service. I'm like, look, again, not an electrical expert, but this looks wrong to me. Yeah, something yeah. here ain't right, so yeah. we need to figure it out. What as a, as a non-electrician, what is the greatest misconception that maybe you had or have identified about electrical safety, man? So some of the the most, um, I guess, the biggest misconceptions from my standpoint are that uh, that voltage, right? That low voltage, 120 volt stuff, isn't that dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Uh, well, that ends up being one of the number one killers when it comes to being involved with getting shocked is that it is a 120 volt system because it's not the voltage that is going to kill you. It's the amperage on the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. So people being uh, lulled into a false sense of security that, Oh, this is low voltage. So it's low hazard. No, not the case. It can, it, most people will die from coming into contact with 120 277, something that's relatively low. Um, what I see within our industry is that, once people get to the, our electricians get to that 480 and above, they start to have a little bit more respect for electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I describe electricity as the fire that you can't see, right? Everybody knows to stay away from fire because you can see it and it's hot. It's mm-hmm. radiant, right? So we can feel that. We know that that's going to burn you. The issue with electricity is, is that it's the fire you can't see. It's hot. It'll burn you. You just won't know it until it's too late, mm-hmm. right? It's um, like a burning ethanol plant, man. Ethanol burns clear, and I've yeah. driven up on burning ethanol plants before, and you don't see the flame. It's right. terrifying. Um, one of the other things, and this is getting more into uh, the workplace, but uh, understanding um, systems and, and arc flash, right? Arc flash value. Um, you know, it it was a common misconception that, oh, hey, this is a 480 system, so it's probably just a category two 
in arc flash, right? And this is getting deeper into the weeds, but um, voltage plays almost no, uh, it, it's not even a, a variable that's taken into account really as you're determining the arc flash value of any not given system. Yes. And so, for instance, uh, we were doing work for a, a steel company and it was a new, brand new building, uh, had a 13.8 system coming in from the, uh, you know, the municipality. So 13.8 system coming in, hits a transformer, drops it down to 480, right? And and so that 480 makes it what's going to be usable for the equipment that's out there in the field. Our electrician pointed out that, hey, how come on the 13.8 side, which is 13,800 volts, how come the arc flash value is like super low, five calories is what they kind of describe it as. Um, and then on the 480 side, it was up to 165 cal, which is massive, right? Yeah, there's no PPE for that, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. You get over 40 and there's no PPE and we're talking 165 and that's on the 480 side. Mm-hmm. And what it was is it was the most obvious thing was the difference in amperage. On the 13.8 side, we're talking 100, maybe 200 amps. On the 480 side, we were in the 2000 plus amperage mm, uh, area. And so it's understanding that, you know, just looking at voltage does not give you any indication of the true hazard. And, and that is honestly something that even electricians, they had for the longest time seen that as, oh, the voltage is where the hazard is. Well, no, the, the amperage and then also, you know, knowing that arc flash value of how to properly protect yourself because you could have been we could have had a guy working in front of a 480 panel and if he didn't do something properly and that blows up at 165 cal, he's it, that's like a bomb going off. Right. And you're standing right next to it. So um, those are the ba- the main misconceptions that I mm-hmm. see. Um, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's really just identifying that amperage is the, is the issue and not mm-hmm. voltage. That available full current. Yeah. yeah. Don, you want to show me some of the stuff you brought you here? Man? I brought Just in uh, some couple of things. The GFIs. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're out on a job site, you you know, guys should be if you're using power tools, you should be using some type of a GFI. This is just a simple single inline mm-hmm. GFI that will you can test, reset it, and that's going to protect you using that drill, you know, or saw whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be on a damp rainy day like today in Nebraska where the yeah. humidity was 105. percent Right, right. We're wearing the humidity. Right. Today. So, you know, that's a single. The okay. Other, and so let me ask you a question about that. Mm-hmm. So this is for either temp power or permanent power? Yes. If you're using a hand yeah, tool? That that's would be co- my cord and plug hand tool? Right. If you're in an environment where there's going to be a hazard of, of moisture. Like that wet or damp location yeah. or just heavy humidity or something. Right. You want to protect yourself. If I'm um, using, can I use that with an extension cord? Yes. And where does it, does it matter where it goes at which this point? This needs to be at the beginning. Right at the outlet. Right at the outlet is the best place to put it. Put your cord into that and then you can get out. That way your cord is protected and okay. there's a problem with the cord. Okay. And your tool and you are protected. Love it. Awesome. So okay. that's just a single. The other box, if you kind of show, make sure the camera can see that. Right that's here. pretty much the same thing, but that's got four plugins in it. Okay. Oh, okay. You, you flip run the cover up okay. and you plug in four different cords, devices, whatever. Nice. Okay. And get that same protection. All right. Very good. Love one, it. Of, one of the other things to bring up with uh, using the GFCI pigtails is, is that if you have a GFCI pigtail plugged into a GFCI outlet that is already, you can sometimes get nuisance tripping. So it, it doesn't. And, that, and that's become really rare with the improvements in technology. Right. Okay. Back when I first started in the trade 
35 years ago, it was a constant pain. Right. Mm-hmm. But they've improved technology of GFIs, so but, they're not tripping as but this, much. So if I do have a temp panel that has GFCI, then you're good. Then I don't need to pick. Yeah, Just make sure that GFCI is in line somewhere right. for Correct. that cord and plug yeah, tool. You don't, don't need to have that. more than one. Are there guys still using cord and plug tools? Oh, a few. Mm-hmm. Some some of the skill saws, the heavy, the bigger saws stuff. Or, I mean, almost like like a core drill, or cord sometimes those hammer drills and stuff. Yeah, or I cord mean, and plug. We've yeah. really moved to. I mean, almost everything is battery powered. I mean. And Some of the where, bigger units, you just mm-hmm. have to have. I, I still see cord and plug tools out there, but just not. Some of them are remnants, and some of them are just because there is really no useful alternative, I suppose. Right. But they're getting better, but okay. they're not. Okay. Uh, when you see a GFI, I've got brought this in. This is what a what you're going to see in your house uh-huh. or in a temp panel or anything else. Uh, the key is, and I have a lot of people call in to go, "Hey, I've lost power in my uh, my garage." Well, you need to find the GFI. Well, there's not one out there because all they have are the standard outlets. Right. Well, this GFI has a feed-through capability and will protect these outlets. Okay. There's supposed to be a little sticker put on there. It says GFI protected, but okay. that doesn't happen a lot. So you find these, you push the reset So somewhere button. in that circuit, there right. this exists and yeah, it's tripped. Somewhere in that circuit, it's tripped and that will restore it. Okay. Uh, just got to hit that reset button. Some of these... Are they have lights on them, so you'll know when it's tripped. It'll have a little red light show up. Mm-hmm. New, newer so, ones? Yeah. Some of them we actually have alarms on. Really? And we put those in, like, garages or on deep freezes. So you know if so your freezer is going to If your thaw. GFI tripped out, you know your freezer is out of power. You don't yeah. come out like I did 10 years ago, open it up, and go, <laughs> oh, man. You have, a, like, a beef swimming pool? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> All the blood. As expensive down. as meat is, man, you that do not want bad. that to happen. That was a bad day. I will tell you just a little story. So my wife and I, the house where we raised our boys, we'd put the Christmas lights out. Invariably, it would rain at some point during that season. And the lights would go out. The Christmas lights would go out. And the light in the garage would go out. And I hunted for days for the GFI that controlled it. You know, I could not figure it out. And it was in the 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 guest bathroom. Yep. Exactly. I yep. wish you, I would have, you would have told me that before <laughs> I spent days looking time. for it, man. Uh, <laughs> Don, you know, I can't we, find my... Yeah, we had talked also about, you know, safety for kids. Mm-hmm. Because 20% of these injuries, that's about 200 kids a year oh, yeah, that's are injured with electricity. Mm-hmm. So uh, the National Electric Code years ago came up with what's called tamper-resistant outlets. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a tester. Okay. I can test tamper-resistant outlets with a single prong. I should not be able to shove it in. And I mean, either I, of the slots, either of the slots, there's okay. little doors that close up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it takes two and it plugs right in. No shit. Yeah. And this particular tester is an insulated tester. So I can do with this on a live outlet. Uh huh. But a lot of times you'll see, uh, when they're made, there'll be a little TR written on the mm-hmm. outlet. So, you know, I've seen that they used to have black doors on white outlets. Well, they kind of got rid of that because people like, Oh, you can see it ugly. People didn't like but that. That's a tamper resistant outlet. So that okay. stops your kid from taking that knife, that you know, whatever, get in there and pushing it in there out of yeah. curiosity. Love that. So this is going to help children. But those doors also make it more difficult for me to get that in too, yeah. right? So when I'm they like, they can. The <laughs> you got to wiggle it around and make sure it goes in. But it, it okay, will. I love that, man. Thank so you for sharing great, that. That is cool. Great little test. Did you know that, Cam? See. There you go. Okay. I, love I, it. I do I do charge teaching fees. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> but, really cool. You know, so we see these GFIs, which are great, 
but there's also GFI breakers. Right. So I brought right. three different types of breakers. Okay. Uh, as you can see, they got different colored buttons on them. Okay. Yeah, I do. Because the National Electric Code also picked up what's called arc fault circuit interrupters for mm -hmm. residential. In your home, newer homes have what's called an arc fault breaker, which if something's arcing in the circuit where it's not making a solid connection, the breaker senses it, shuts off, uh, and stops a fire from inside your walls. Okay. So they're real good, but they do make GFI breakers. Uh, this Siemens brand, there'll be a white push button on it, and it says GFI. Yeah, pass that on over the front to the guy it. that doesn't know what the hell we're talking about. And then they have an arc fault breaker, which has the dark blue. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody can see that. Okay. But they look very similar from the outside. Yes. But one is arc fault, one is ground fault. And you can feel free to Google that so you can understand what it is later. And then they make one that's dual function, both arc fault and ground fault. Mm -hmm. And that's got a light blue. Okay. Kind of a cross between the white and the... And, the blue. and so these are going into new in builds, the, primarily new builds, required. Uh, probably in part of the code now. So uh, GFI has been part of the code since the 70s. Yeah. And there have been breakers and outlets. Okay. But now in the past, oh, what's it been, five years? Or no, that's been longer than that, almost 10 years ago, they adopted the National Electric Code, adopted arc fault breakers also. Okay. And so in my house, which is probably 10 years old. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't believe that these are present in my house. I'm going to go check. Yep. Do I need to upgrade? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, is it possible to upgrade? It is. Absolutely. It is possible to upgrade from a standard yep. breaker to one of these guarded breakers. Right. Uh, the problem you can run into is how it was wired mm -hmm. with sharing neutrals and stuff that yeah, that's used to do. Yeah. You can have nuisance tripping with that, with that arc okay. fault. Because arc fault needs to protect one circuit. Gotcha. And things were wired a little different, you know, yeah. 10 years ago. As sure codes change, we adapt and adjust to make sure the technology fits the need. Okay. But uh, this is fantastic. Most people do not, like when we change a panel out now and upgrade a panel, we are not required to put arc fault on existing stuff, only new installations. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I have the arc faults in my house. Do you? And I actually, um, I had one that, and as bad as it may sound, but we had to get rid of it because it kept tripping. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just put in a regular GFCI, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to protect the person, right, for making sure mm -hmm. the arc fault is really for protecting fires, mm -hmm. yeah, protecting, okay. protecting okay. your home. Um, and that's really the biggest difference between the two. But that's the only downside is, is that if you do have a loose connection, now if you can find that loose connection, then it might help. But, you know. It can lead up, to that nuisance up, tripping. Yeah, and we, we ended up just switching it out because couldn't figure out why it was happening. We checked mm -hmm. all the different connections. Everything was tight. So, and sometimes the GFCIs themselves or the, the actual breaker itself can, can be bad. It right? can fail, right? Yeah, sure. It can just, just fail your curve in the very, yeah, it can just, one. yeah, it can just inevitably be bad, right? Mm -hmm. Just because it came brand new yep. from the manufacturer. We, we doesn't brand new mean ones in. Yeah. A week later had to go back and replace yeah. it. Right. And but so they fail right away if they're going to fail to the war at the end of their lifespan, somewhere yeah, in that. Usually in the beginning, usually right. at the end. Is it important to have all the circuit, the branch circuits in my home GFCI'd or just the ones that are serving like a bathroom, kitchen? Uh, code says any place that's outdoors, outdoors. Un unfinished concrete is conductive. Okay. Uh, like a basement that's unfinished mm -hmm, needs mm -hmm. to be GFI protected. Kitchens, uh, mm -hmm. bathrooms, okay. garages. The outdoor stuff. Yep. Everything outdoors. Any place where the you, know, you can get that moisture factor mm -hmm. that can make you part of the circuit needs to be GFCI. Right. This is interesting because 
uh, I see a lot of locations, facilities that I um, work with or serve that they don't appear to have um, circuitry or components that are rated for wet or damp locations. And I'll tell you, the dead giveaway is they've like, taped, taped plastic over them or yeah, something, you know? Yeah, that's pretty much dead giveaway. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, even a guy like me can see that. Yeah. And um, I don't know how necessarily to identify other than going all the way back to the breakers or something, if something is on GFC or tracing well, those lines. You know, if you're talking a 120-volt circuit or an mm-hmm. outlet, mm-hmm. they make a fancy little tester like this. Mm-hmm. What do you call that? A fancy little test, a GFI tester. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fancy, fancy little tester. <laughs> right. yeah. That was actually that, the trade name. Right. Yeah, that yeah, is exactly. the, the actual uh, name. But basically, you just plug this into the outlet, uh-huh. and when it's energized, you push this button, it'll trip the GFI. Okay. Or it'll trip if it's, even if it's da- upstream, if, if it's upstream someplace, and the lights that are on here will go out, and okay. then then you have the joy of trying to find the GFI that trip. Yeah, but hell, you know it. That and then point. you know it. Uh, it can also tell you if it's not wired properly, right? Yeah, yeah. there's some like light reverse polarity and things, yeah, right. some configurational things. Yeah, ungrounded. So there's there's more to it, but they make those. And where do I get one of those things other than uh, just like sealing that when you're not looking? Okay. I mean, can I go buy those at an electrical yep. supply store? I, Home Depot, hardware. Lowe's, yeah. Ace Home Hardware, okay. everybody, any place that sells an electrical outlet will probably have one of okay. those there. I probably need to have those things. I don't GFIs, focus. You know, technically on construction on construction jobs, or they're supposed to be tested monthly, every month. Somebody should we, be going around. Go and around is that usually check. the duty of the electrical contractor? Well, it's our, the, if it's a temporary system, our guys do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the GC usually expects you to do that or puts that off on you i would hope yeah yeah no, you are yeah, the one it's yeah. part of our policies right and, and okay monthly go out once a month and check Test all, all the all GFIs on our temporary power systems okay interesting okay anything any last what give me the the quick on the outdoor cover the big outdoor cover yep. uh code says if you're outdoors you need to have a cover over this so when you're plugged in the cord goes through the bottom so the, the lid is not just like hanging there right. on top of the cord. So you can open it up, plug it in, close it, and that way when rain hits, it doesn't get on your outlets. Okay. So this is something that I see all the time. Should have on the They've outside outlet. They've got one of those. It's plugged in, and then the cord, the, the, the cap, the top just yeah, kind of like sits against the cords. Right. Yeah. They need to cut out. Are there like knockouts yep. that you can carve yep. out or yep. push no, out? No, they're already out? pre-made to drop the cords out. Mm-hmm. And them in okay they, they make all kinds of different ones and the code ones. says that yes i'm i'm gonna be all over that yep. man code says outdoors it has to be has to be properly protected okay yep. it's got to be designed for that use unless, yeah i get the, yeah, yeah yeah unless you're more than six foot back from the edge of the roof so explain like that on, so that, say that to me again if you're on say a front porch that's mm-hmm. a big and you have a big covered porch big covered porch and it's and way it's, back by the door six foot away from where the edge of the roof is okay. then then you don't have to have that cover Oh, I love this, man. Because rain generally doesn't come blowing in past six foot. Okay. Interesting. Magic. It is magic. <laughs> hey, so the real question is, do you just sit there and read the code book on your weekends while you're just hanging out? Or Usually it helps how do you know all these things? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, tell you what, Tom, 38 years of this, you kind of have a tendency to you work. Have, yeah. Well, that's it happens. I know that excuse me. people will ask me questions, and I refer them to like the subpart by letter and Roman numeral and stuff, and they're like, you need to get a life, man. <laughs> and uh, it's just repetition. You just, you're in there so often and yep, eventually yep. it just becomes ingrained, hopefully. Yeah, it's just but like, it is a good point. Everybody that does this type of work, specifically what you do or in general, what I do, they say, 
you need to spend time in the regulations. There's just oh, no, exactly. I ask safety professionals all the time. Have you read that CPL or have you read that regulation? No. Wow. How the hell do you know what you should be right. expecting? Correct. Yep. And, it's and you un- don't know necessarily every bit that's in that code. You know, the code books, thousands of pages. Of course. Right? Yeah. But you know, the ones you deal with mm-hmm. or you know where to go find it. You know, yeah, when correct. I worked on helicopters in the army, we had step-by-step instructions how to take apart and put back together a helicopter. Everything. But you didn't have to know it. You had to be able to find it in the book. Right. And do just it. do it step-by-step. Yep. Love it. So it's fantastic, guys. Yeah, books are important. Books are good. Right? <laughs> yeah. Stop burning those books. Yeah, damn stop it. banning them. <laughs> exactly. No, books are good. Hey, this has been really informative for me and for Cam, hopefully for the audience as well. May is National Electrical Safety Awareness Month, yep. and this is good information. I think everybody is going to hear something that they did not know. I heard a lot that I did not know, so I appreciate that. Thank you for what you guys are doing. Um, that's my affirmation to you. All right. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> I appreciate Thanks, what Doug. you guys are doing. We appreciate yeah. what yeah, you're you guys doing. You guys look happier <laughs> yeah. knowing that I, that I appreciate what you're doing. Coffee's kicking in. The coffee is kicking <laughs> in, man. So – Go out there and affirm somebody today. <laughs> I guess, is, is that yeah, an act? Like is that a verb? Tell them thanks. You can yeah. affirm someone. Yeah. Hey, man, be grateful. Be appreciative. Um, if you are a safety person or you're in some, in some kind of an adjacent safety role, we do appreciate what you're doing. Um, our intention has always been to make Nebraska a safe place to live and work. That's why we do what we do. So keep up the good work. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Building Omaha for being a sponsor of the program. We're going to keep pushing out content as long as we can afford it. So (laughs) have a good weekend, fellas. Cam, have a good weekend. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, everybody. everybody. We'll talk to you later. A Huda Media Production.